Beatitudes that we find recorded in Matthew 5. <clears throat> we looked at the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we notice that here are eight keys to the kingdom. The Lord is talking about the kingdom. And here are the keys, you might say, to open up the kingdom for those that would enter therein. Here are eight qualities that bring about the blessedness or the happiness that the Lord wants his disciples to enjoy. Eight characteristics of the child of God. We are to show as his children, as Christians, those who belong to Christ, those who follow Christ, these characteristics in our everyday life. We're to be poor in spirit. This morning I'd like to notice also that we are to mourn. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. It is the glory of the gospel that it was that it can give true comfort to those mourning over sin. The world absolutely has nothing to offer the contrite and broken heart. This beatitude does not cover all mourners. Just a certain type. This does not cover the, the mourning of those who have a natural pessimism. Those who are chronic complainers. It does not cover those who mourn for the consequences of their sins. And it doesn't cover those who mourn because they've ruled God out of their lives. And so we're going to notice the type of mourning that the Lord here promises to bless. The Bible mentions different kinds of mourning. There is weeping and mourning that's a part of human life. These are acceptable and proper. We release anxiety and pain through tears. Abraham wept when his wife Sarah died. That was how he dealt with his grief. And mourning permits the healing process. It's very natural. Well, let me give you some other examples of weeping in the Bible. In 2 Timothy 1, 3 and 4, Paul said to Timothy, Thank God, whom I served from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee being mindful of thy tears. Timothy was weeping because of terrible discouragement and I'm sure of loneliness. It's normal to weep in such circumstances. And God sent his prophet Jeremiah to preach to Israel of a coming judgment upon them for their disobedience. And Jeremiah 9 and 1 says, Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And another example. When Paul met the Ephesian elders at Miletus, 
He said, therefore, watch and remember that for the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul had the tears of concern for the church. Another example, Mark 9, 23 and 24. A father brings his demon-possessed son to Jesus to be healed. And Jesus said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. The father had tears of earnest love for his son. He wanted him to be delivered from a demon. One other example. It's found in Luke 7, 37 and 38. A woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. The Pharisee Simon was standing over at the side watching it all, thinking to himself, how can he allow a sinful woman to do that to him? And then Jesus taught the lesson that those who have been forgiven much as she had been are very grateful the woman had tears of devotion and heartfelt gratitude. Sometimes people cry when they're thankful. People cry for different reasons. Sometimes they cry out of love, out of concern, disappointment, pain, sorrow, loneliness. Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus because he loved his friend. Tears are a God-given way to release the terrible pain in the heart. There's nothing wrong with that kind of mourning. In Ecclesiastes 3, verses 2 and 4, it says, There is a time to be born and to die. A time to weep and a time to lie. Some say, well, in general, Matthew 5 and 4 is true. After you've shed some tears, you feel better. And that sorrow is a way of building up and strengthening a person. True. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a while with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she, but all oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. But our question this morning is, what type of mourning is Jesus promising to bless in Matthew 5 and 4? Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, I think the key is found in 2 Corinthians 7 and 10. For godly sorrow or godly grief worketh repentance unto salvation. 
A repentance that has no regret or bringeth no regret. But the sorrow of the world bringeth death. Paul tells us about two kinds of grief or sorrow or mourning in this verse. And one kind leads to death that does not have the promise of blessing or comfort. But the other does. Godly grief. A sorrow that produces repentance, that brings salvation, that brings life. There are other kind of sorrows which will not produce repentance. In Matthew 5 and 4, Jesus wasn't saying, Blessed are those who are lonely or discouraged, but blessed are those who are sorry about their sinfulness. That's the meaning. The previous beatitude, Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A person poor in spirit senses that he is spiritually bankrupt. And that leads to mourning. I think we're going to notice as we study these beatitudes that there is a progression from one beatitude to the next. There is a connection between the two. The poor in spirit have no capacity to help themselves. That person recognizes himself as a beggar, pleading for the mercy and for the grace of God. And that's the kind of person who enters into the kingdom of heaven. So we're talking about the godly sorrow that produces repentance for sin. There are, we're told, nine different Greek verbs in the New Testament that speak of grief. And the Greek word for mourn in Matthew 5 and 4 is the strongest of the nine. We've heard many times how the Greek language has four different words for love. Well, in the New Testament, there are nine different Greek words or verbs even for grief. Grief is a very much a part of life. It speaks about deep inner agony and pain. And Jesus promises a blessing upon those who have that experience. It's the very same word that was used to describe Jacob when he was mourning his supposed death of Joseph. Thought he would never see him again in this life. It's the same word that's used to describe in Mark 16 and 10. The grief and the mourning of the disciples over the death of Jesus while he was in the sepulchre. Well, there's a type of mourning the Lord promises to bless. And what type is that mourning for personal sin? Let me give you some Bible examples. First, let's turn to Psalm 51 written by David. And we think after the Lord sent his prophet Nathan to David, having committed the sin of uh, fornication, adultery with Bathsheba, murdering her husband, and all the time David trying to cover up and to repress, not to mourn. But after Nathan comes, opens his heart, the mourning begins. And Psalm 51 is an expression of David mourning for his sins. 
I'll not read the whole chapter, but look at verses 3 and 4. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done that which is evil in thy sight. Drop down to verse 7. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. He's not rejoicing. He's not enjoying gladness. He's mourning. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's the prayer of a mourner for sin. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. In verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. That's a description of one who would mourn for his sins. David mourned. And finally got forgiveness. And the comfort. Peter is another example in the Bible, one who mourned for his sins, especially those sins of having denied Jesus. When we turn to Luke 22, I'll start at verse 54. And they seized Jesus and led him away and brought him under the high priest's house. But Peter followed afar. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the court and had sat down together, Peter sat in the midst of them. And a certain maid, seeing him as he sat in the light of the fire, and looking steadfastly upon him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him, and said, Thou also art one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after the space of about one hour, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord how that he had said unto him before the cock crow this day, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Here is an instant of a disciple mourning, weeping over his sins. One other example from the Bible is Isaiah 6. It has to do with Isaiah and his call to be the Lord's spokesman and prophet. Verse 5 says, Then said I, this is Isaiah speaking, Woe is me, for I am undone, 
because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, Jehovah of hosts. Now these are three examples. One mourning for their own personal sins. Mourning that springs from sympathy with God because God's will is so grievously disregarded and disobeyed by ourselves. And what's the promise? Well, to be comforted. And in this case, this type of mourning brings forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 7 and 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. Those that grieve over sin, that sorrow that they have committed it and are afflicted and wounded, that they have offended God, shall find comfort in the gospel. And they shall then be able to look upon Jesus as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John one twenty nine takes it away as promised in Hebrews 8 and 12. I will be merciful unto their iniquities and their sins will I remember no more. Or Peter said in Acts 3 and 19, Repent ye and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. 1 Peter 3.21, The like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save you. Here is the promise of comfort to those who mourn over their own individual sins. It is a mourning, a godly grief and sorrow that will bring them back to God in penitence, doing God's will, and receiving His forgiveness. That's the comfort of those who mourn for their sins. But there's a little extension to this. I believe it also includes those who mourn for the sins of others. We have the example of Jeremiah called the the weeping prophet because he mourned for the sins of his people. We'll look at chapter 8 and let's look at a few verses. 5 and 6. Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by perpetual backsliding? They hold fast deceit. They refuse to return, that is, unto God. I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repenteth him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turneth to his course as a horse that rusheth headlong in the battle. Look also at verse 12. Were they ashamed? Did they grieve? Did they mourn? Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall. And in the time of their visitation, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Verse 18, Oh, that I could comfort myself against sorrow. My heart is faint within me. Verse 20, 
the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. I mourn, Jeremiah says. Dismay hath taken hold on me. Is there no bomb in Gilead? Why does he need bomb? Well, that was a medicine. He needs to recover from the mourning from the sins. Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? We remember how Jesus mourned over Jerusalem. Coming on his day of entry, and we'll study about pretty soon in our Bible class, is old Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Well, really, that's a few days later. That's about the middle of his week of crucifixion that he cried, old Jerusalem, Jerusalem. But here it just says that he wept as he looked upon Jerusalem. He would have gathered them together just as a chicken gathers her chicks under her, but he would not. The Lord wept over the sins of the people of Jerusalem. And the forgiveness we've seen was what was the comfort that came to those who mourned for their own sins, but what about mourning for the sins of others? Well, they shall be given a task to convert the sinners. In fact, to convert the world. The Great Commission has been given unto earthen vessels. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7. One thing it does, it'll keep the person busy. Heralding the Great Commission, the gospel, rather. Secondly, it gives power, and that's the gospel. The gospel is God's power unto salvation. The power to destroy that which is causing the mourning, sin. And thirdly, it will bring comfort in the joy that people experience when they see people surrendering to Jesus, being converted unto Jesus Christ. That brings joy. That brings comfort to those who mourn for the sins of others. But the problem is there are hindrances. There may be hindrances in my life. There may be hindrances in your life. And certainly there are hindrances out in the world. Keeping people from mourning over their own sins. A stony heart doesn't mourn. One must remove the hindrances that keeps us from recognizing sin in our own lives. I suppose we've all heard the expression, there are alien sinners and there are saved sinners. The alien sinners have never obeyed the gospel. And those who have obeyed the gospel, though forgiven, are not perfect and will not be perfect in this life. And so we're referred to or referred to ourselves as saved sinners. If we're walking in the light, 1 John 1 and 7, then we're going to have contact perpetually to the blood of Christ that keeps on cleansing us. But we're still sinners. And we still need to mourn for our sins. I mean, is that my attitude when I sin? I know I sin. I mean, we all should recognize that we sin. But how do we deal with it? Maybe hindrances are our problem. Maybe one hindrance is the love of sin. Individual loves to do this. There's pleasure in the sin. Moses tells, not Moses, but uh, Paul, I think, Hebrews 11. 
And so maybe we don't want to mourn something we're enjoying. Or maybe it's uh, despair, sort of the other way around. A person in despair says, well, God can't help me. There is no help. So I might as well do whatever I, I want. And then there's the, the hindrance of conceit. Well, I can't be that bad. I shouldn't have to mourn over anything in my life. In fact, I'm quite good. Well, that is a hindrance to mourning over our sins. Conceit. Or there may be the hindrance of presumption. I was baptized. So what else do I need to do? We've seen that attitude. Well, we need to listen to the prophet Isaiah 55 and 7. He says, let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy on him. And he will abundantly pardon. That's the promise. But we have to repent. We have to have godly sorrow. We have to mourn for our sins first. Maybe it's the hindrance of procrastination. One of these days I'm going to have, a, going to, have to take a good look at my sins. And James 4.14 says, What is your life? Ye are a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. The sooner one deals with his sins, the sooner he's going to be comforted by the Lord. And then one other hindrance we might mention is excessive merriment. For some, life is just one big party. And as long as they keep the party going, they will never face their sins and the problems that that brings. Our world, our society is preoccupied with partying. The world sings, pack up your troubles in your old kit bag and smile, smile, smile. But the Bible says, mourn over your sins. Well, how can we remove these hindrances? Quickly, one, look at the cross. Each one of us need to realize what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. And if that doesn't break a stony heart, I don't know what would. Am I a stone and not a sheep? That I can stand, O Christ, beneath thy cross, to number drop by drop thy blood's great loss, and yet not weep? Look at the cross and study about sin in the scriptures. Compare what David and Peter and Paul and others said about their sinfulness. And then we need to compare ourselves with them. And lastly, I'd mention plan or pray for a contrite heart. A contrite and broken heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. This is the type of sacrifice that God wants, not the animal. He wants a broken and contrite heart. 
One that when he sees evil, mourns about it. Has grief, godly sorrow. And wants to turn from it in penitence. And seek God's forgiveness. And then receive his comfort. Blessed are they that mourn. For they shall be comforted. Is there one here this morning who's not obeyed the gospel? Who's not come to the forgiveness of his sins? Not received it from the Lord because you've not surrendered to him? Except one believe, except one repent, except one confess his faith in Christ and be baptized for the remission of his sins, there is no hope, no promise of comfort, no forgiveness. Or if you need to come asking God's help, seeking forgiveness of whatever, we want to help any way we can as we stand and sing.